Welcome to This Week in California Education, produced by EdSource Radio, where we talk about the latest developments in California education. I'm Lewis Friedberg, Executive Director of EdSource, with John Fensterwald, Editor-at-Large with EdSource. Welcome, John. Thank you, Lewis. Pleasure to be here. Well, this week, John, we're going to focus on money matters. The federal budget came out, or at least the proposed budget um, that President Trump put forward with huge cuts in education. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But let's start with California. The governor, a couple of weeks ago, proposed his budget, revised budget, and there was going to be a billion dollars more for schools. But I understand there's a catch involved here. Well, it is a bit of a catch. That's right. In the May revision, every year the governor comes back and revises his proposal that he made in January. This year, the governor proposes to give $2.8 billion to K-12 education more than K-12 education than the year before. When I say he proposes to give, that's what Proposition 98 the primary formula for determining what the schools get. That's what it requires. That's what it says we should get. And the governor is proposing, you know, $1.4 billion for the local control funding formula, which is all to the good, districts like that. And he also proposed a billion dollars in one-time money, discretionary money. Districts can use it however they want to. And that's what he said at his press conference. Well, it turns out later that day, Department of Finance started spreading the word that really districts aren't going to get that money until May of 2019, almost a year after the next fiscal Year and wait, so can, are they allowed to use it during the coming year or they have to wait for another year? I guess it's year? at their risk. And the number of consultants are saying, don't do that. Because what it really says is depending on how much money comes across in 2017-18 will determine whether they actually get that full billion. And they won't get it, either all of it or part of it, until May 2019. That's almost two years away. So where do we stand now with this $1 billion? Is this a done deal? Are people upset? Are they trying to get the money sooner rather than later? My sense is that, you know, school districts are going to fight this. They're going to say, look, that's a proposition 98 predicts. That's what you forecast. Let's spend the money next year. And in fact, in their budget committees, they are appropriating it for next year. And so this will be part of the negotiations over the next month with the governor. Well, John, at least with the state budget, the schools are going to be getting more money than they got last year, even though some of it might come a little later. Right. If President Trump gets his way, there's going to be a lot less in education spending. And uh, he came out with his proposed budget this week. It might actually be dead on arrival when it gets to Congress. The reception there has not been favorable, including amongst uh, quite a number of Republicans. One of the cuts he's calling for is a massive $2.3 billion cut of this teacher preparation fund called Title II Part A of the Every Student Succeeds Act, which is shorthand. Sometimes people call it ESSA in one of the many acronyms in education policy. But he wants to cut this program, billions of dollars, This morning, I talked with Liam Goldrick, who is Director of Policy for the New Teacher Center based in Santa Cruz, about why this program is important. This is what he had to say. Well, the proposed cut is incredibly alarming to an organization like New Teacher Center, uh, whose bread and butter is really investing in developing and supporting educators around the country, where we work extensively in California, as well as in myriad uh, districts and states around the country. 
And if one recognizes the research in education, one knows that the teacher is the most important school-based element that determines the success of the school and, uh, and the achievement of, of the students that are served by it. That's Liam Goldrick, who is Director of Policy for the New Teacher Center. I also asked Liam how this is playing out on Capitol Hill. And this program actually has gotten the support from both sides of the aisle. And so people are upset that President Trump is proposing to cut it now. The Every Student Succeeds Act, uh, through which uh, th these funds are you know, proposed to be spent uh, by law, was approved less than a year and a half ago by a bipartisan group of lawmakers in Washington, D.C. And as the act was designed, uh, as were past iterations of the federal education law, this element of what's known as in the, in the act as supporting effective instruction state grants program, otherwise known as Title II, is a centerpiece of this. States are counting on these resources as they put their their plans together to be submitted to the Federal Department of Education. And this really represents a proposed pulling the rug out from under both states and the, school, the districts and schools to which the vast majority of these dollars would flow. In many ways, um, it, it almost represents uh, an attempt by the Trump administration to relitigate a law that had just received uh, an overwhelming support from uh, both sides of the aisle. Well, John, we also talked, well, you actually talked with Linda Darling-Hammond, who is president of the Learning Policy Institute and also is chairperson of the California Teacher Credentialing Commission. So she has a big stake in all this money that's coming to California to help teachers become more effective. What did you talk to her about? So I asked her to respond to Republican criticism that that um, Title II money, which is spread on a formula to every district. Um, on a formula basis. Yes, formula, every district gets its share based on population, I believe. And so I asked her, you know, to respond to the criticism that the money is, is spread too thinly across the state and across the nation, and also that it hasn't been used very effectively. This is what she said. I would challenge the president to produce evidence on that point. I don't think that um, they could because there hasn't been a nationwide analysis of the effectiveness of the spending of Title II dollars. However, I have studied professional development programs in many states and in many communities, and whenever you find effective professional development, that is professional development that changes teachers' practices and improves student achievement and learning, the likelihood that it's been funded by Title II is generally quite high, and some states have used that funding in ways that are demonstrably effective. That's not to say that every penny has been spent in the best possible way, but it is. there's not evidence on that point, but there is evidence that some of it has been spent in ways that have transformed practices, school effectiveness, and student outcomes. I also asked Linda Darling-Hammond how the money might be used in California with the Every Student Succeeds Act. The State Board of Education right now is planning for how the money might be used starting next year. And she mentioned a couple things. Title II uh, has several possibilities. One important piece is that Title IIA allows for a 3% set aside for leadership development programs, which I think are incredibly important in California. We used to have a California School Leadership Academy 
which was highly successful in supporting the training of principals and central office staff and superintendents and also teams who were going to engage in school turnaround. It was so successful, it was modeled and adapted in 20 other states uh, and then zeroed out uh, in the early 2000s in California. And so we have actually no state investment right now in training leaders. It's probably the single most uh, high leverage thing one can do is to get really strong preparation for the people who are going to leave schools and our work under the new LCAP, LCFF programs in terms of each community figuring out how well it's doing and revising its plans every year and then implementing improvements in a continuous way really depends on a very high caliber leadership. So I think that's one of the things that can be done. And another that's very important is investing in residencies for teachers that train teachers up for high-need communities in shortage fields, one of the things that is uh, authorized under Title II as well, that would be another very um, important use of the funds given our teacher shortages. Well, it's also important to bear in mind, as we mentioned earlier, that this is still a very provisional budget. This is more like a presidential wish list And there's really no guarantee at all that these massive cuts will go into effect. That's very true. But before we leave, you know, there was a bit of good news this week with regard, at least with regard to college loans. Well, that's right. Actually, Larry Gordon, our higher education reporter based in Los Angeles, wrote a story about summer school Pell Grants being restored and approved by Congress. Remarkable. We have Larry on the line to tell us a little bit about this. Amid all this um, fighting and pushback and higher ed against proposals from the Trump administration um, two weeks ago, bipartisan approval in Congress and and signature by Trump on a omnibus budget bill that included Pell Grants being revived for summer school. The Pell Grant is a grant, not a loan. It's, it's free money for students generally come from families earning under 50,000 a year. And uh, often they can get up to about 6000 during the school year. But there is no money for summer school. There had been an experiment under Obama that lasted two years, and they killed it off, saying that it was too expensive, it wasn't being administered properly. But colleges and, and higher education experts had said, you know, this is really being short-sighted. If we can give some more money for the students to go in the summer, they'll get out of college faster it will help everybody make space for for more students. Well, let me just, Larry, let me ask you about uh, what what kind of summer school are we talking about? I mean, is this a, is is this academic courses or is this uh, I don't know the courses that you you know the easy courses that you couldn't take during the school year kind of thing? Well, I mean, they're academic courses. You know, that maybe they'll be easy or not, but they have to be fully accredited courses. These are not you know, summer camping expeditions or things like that. You know, it is for mainstream academically uh, accredited courses. It's not for for summer fun. And do most colleges offer summer schools? Many do, some don't. During the uh, budget crisis in, in California nine years ago, summer schools were one of the first places that schools cut. They've been coming back more often and often at very high prices. 
Now, they've been seen as a way for schools to actually make money. So often the price of summer school is much higher than it would be a class that would be during the regular school year. But the hope is that these grants, the presence of them, will actually encourage more schools to offer classes and expand their offerings. Well, how did this actually happen? I mean, this seems rather amazing amidst all these reports about cutbacks. I mean, isn't the Trump administration proposing a bunch of cutbacks of student loan programs and others? It is, but what is interesting is that um, the the Pell program had an enormous reserve fund. It had something like uh, some crazy amount that was pushing up to, I think, $9 billion in unused monies. What had happened was that some of the appropriations were made based on student enrollments during the recession, when a lot of students returned to college and older people came to college. And in the recovery fewer of those people are taking advantage of the Pell. And instead of going right back to the Treasury, it went to this reserve. So the money is actually right there. And there's so much that the Trump administration is proposing taking some of it and putting it back into the main Treasury. But the, the, the money is actually there. And, and, and amazingly, you know, both sides, both Republicans and Democrats, see it as um, from two different lenses, but both to approve it. One sort of a social welfare program to get you know, to help people, and the other one sort of a hard-nosed dollar uh, judgment that giving these kids a chance to fill in their classes in the summer will get them out faster and in the long run save the, the program money. Wow, well, that's great, uh, great to hear something positive amidst all these other negative reports and fears about budget cuts. So uh, thanks, Larry. You'll be following this. And for people who want more details, check out the story that Larry wrote on EdSource. Thanks, Lewis. That was Larry Gordon, our higher education reporter based in Los Angeles. We're almost out of time. But John, I didn't want to let you go before you have a chance to make your prediction of the week. Well, it's interesting. Money to address California's teacher shortage is going to be part of the negotiations with the governor. The governor didn't include any new money for these programs in his January budget, but now the particularly the Assembly Budget Committee has put in about $85 million worth of programs, including teacher residencies that Linda talked about, and also some incentives for credentialing for science, technology, STEM courses, and also for bilingual education. So we're going to see how that fares and whether the governor allows some of that money to go through. What do you think? I'm waiting for the prediction. I think that something will go through. Uh, they threw in a whole bunch of them, so one or two will probably go through, including perhaps an idea that the governor likes himself. And Lewis, it's yourself. What's the prediction that you have? Well, John, you remember last week we talked about the big victory for charter school advocates, a new board majority in Los Angeles, very strongly pro-charter majority on the board. Typically, when there's a new majority, the old superintendent or the, the incumbent superintendent is kind of gets in the crosshairs and their tenure is endangered. Well, actually, there's been no talk at all of Michelle King, who's homegrown superintendent, spent an entire career in the district, grew up there. There's been no talk of having her leave her post or any effort to uh, push her out, which would be a great relief in Los Angeles, where there's been such a turnover in school superintendencies. And so I predict that Michelle King will keep a job and uh, will be able to work with this new board majority. Well, with the fiscal crisis that that district faces, let's see a year from now, she's happy she still has that job. We will see. Well, on that note, we have to wrap it up for this week. 
I'm Lewis Friedberg with John Fenstewald. For more information on these and other topics, please go to our website at edsource.org. Thanks for listening and see you next week.